Fabio Grosso can put this penalty away, then the Azuri will win the World Cup. Italy are champions of the world. To Fabregas, surely now, surely now, Spain have won the World Cup for the first time in history. Hello everyone, welcome to the Footy Fans Podcast, Andrew Santo and Joe. It is our first official World Cup episode Yep. after our preview show. The first round of group stage matches have all been played. Mm-hmm. Uh, group A has also been played, uh, second round games I guess you can call them that. Um, so we'll, you know we can get more into that group because they've played more games so we'll get a little more in depth with England and US and Wales and, uh, and Iran. But, I mean, I think coming from our standpoint, the biggest result and the biggest game that we were looking at was Canada-Belgium. We watched it together. We laughed together. We cried together. We died together Yep. in that game after the final result and how Canada ended up playing. I'm sure people have already seen it all before or listened to different pundits or talk about it, but we're going to take our chance now to give our two cents about that game. But I, I personally, like, am heartbroken. Yep. Mm-hmm. In more ways than one. Like, obviously, the penalty miss was huge. We'll get into that more in depth, probably, and, like, maybe who should have taken this penalty shot. But I just think, and maybe this is unfair to, to, to Canada because I weighed that game as if I was watching Italy play because this is the team I'm going for for this tournament. Mm-hmm. In years of past of World Cups, European Cups, always being Italy, like, that's where I put my heart and soul into. Now that it's Canada... Different expectations, obviously, but I'm still looking at them to pre- perform well. I mean, they're CONCACAF champions. They didn't just sneak into the World Cup. They're arguably the best team for North America. They have the standings. They have the pedigree now. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of looking at them to you know, really shine out there. And they did everything except score a goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the game of football, we all know it. But that's what it comes down to, right? Mm-hmm. Wins and losses come down to goal scored, not scored. And I mean, we could have got three or four of this one, and yep. it would have been the biggest, maybe not upset, but it would have been a little like added cherry on top to how we played because we played a hell of a game against again the second best team in the, in, in the world. Yeah, for for me, I was thinking about it um, because yeah, like we're used to watching Italy play, and we had the expectation that Italy can win this tournament because they've done it so many times in the past. Um, for me, I think what did it was the fact that we came out so strong and Belgium was just not, you know, I want to say Belgium was not on their game, but we've seen it so many times where just Belgium just doesn't perform in tournaments. Um, so I don't know what it is with the team chemistry, being able to actually put these performances in when it comes to the biggest stage, but like we played way better than I thought we were going to play. I mean, we, we had, you know, um, 46% possession to 54 to Belgium, which, you know, was a lot closer than uh, I originally thought uh, it was going to be. But the fact that we, um, I felt like we had, like, much more attacking threat the entire game. Um, and I, I don't know if I would go to say that we, like, totally controlled the game. I think we we were the better team for sure. Um, but, you know, Belgium is always threatening. 
um, you know, obviously with uh, KDB and, and Hazard. Uh, but I do think we probably deserve to win um, with, again, like the attacking throw we had. And as the game went on, the fact that we, we were playing like the way we were and that we could have got a result and the fact that we just didn't score and then we took like a really bad goal, which was, you know, one of the three shots that Belgium had on target um, and one of like the really few chances they even like threatened our back line. That was pretty tough because um, like we had a chance and a win there, you know, would have really set us up nicely for the rest of the, the group. But again, it's hard to kind of separate the feelings of, you know, we're used to going for Italy and they have a chance to win. And then now we're going for Canada where it's like totally different uh, expectations. I think it's hard to differentiate that. But yeah, at the end of the day, like you got to put, put away your chances and just, they didn't, they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. I think what impressed me the most was our, just the way we played out of the back sometimes. I know we yeah. did it at the start and it was like really sketchy. I don't think I almost scored off of it. But a lot of, a lot of nerves though to the yeah. first five, ten minutes. But there were some, you know, spells of possession where uh Belgium would thump it forward or whatever it was. Um or they'd go on a counterattack and we just completely shut them down. And it's not like we just hoof it back to the other side of the field. We were just like, you know, play triangles around them. And it was just so there was a lot of composure which I was really surprised by and just winning the ball back mm -hmm. and then getting possession back uh, in their half. That's, I think, one of the most impressive things. To be honest, I thought it's like it was going to be like um, the Spain game. No, I don't think that we would... I wasn't expecting us to get scored on that much, but I thought it was going to be like Belgium in around our box for like 80 minutes yeah. and just like thumping us, and it was just not that. So that's what I was really impressed by, just our composure to like actually hold the ball against this team. But again, like I'm more... I know a lot of people are proud, and I'm like really impressed too. But like you said, we should have won, but we just couldn't finish. So like we have to, and you know the game against Croatia. Like if it goes like this, and I would expect it to go something like this, where we control the game, but we have to score that game. We have to find a way to yeah get the ball in the back of the net. Otherwise, it's going to be the same story again. And and that's what was uh, like something I noticed where our final third play I think does need uh, a lot of improvement going to the Croatia game. Because we did get to the final third really well, but you know we had twenty two shots. Like we did only have three on target, but even with the twenty two shots, we weren't like that threatening when it was happening. We get to the final third, and like we'd have just like you know half shots, and like I felt like we could have been more composed around the eighteen, um, having all that possession in around their final third, and not having more to show for it. I think it goes to translate, you know. Uh, Belgium had nine shots total. They had three on target. We had 22 and three on target. So our composure in the final third, um, obviously just by the numbers can can be a lot better. Uh, so we'll see how they, they kind of mitigate that going to the, the game against Croatia. But that for me is something that you have to like really develop over time. You can't be like, you know, this is what you got to do. I mean, it comes down to a lot of creativity in the other team's final third. Um, so I don't know, uh, how they're going to change things up against Croatia, but I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Scoring goals is the hardest thing to do in soccer. We all know that. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's by far the, the toughest thing to do. You know, you run 98% of the game without having the ball at your feet. And then from a striker standpoint or midfielder standpoint, when you do get the ball and scoring chance, like you have to score 
what, 30% of your shots at least. Like, that's how you, yeah. probably what you have to do. So, very hard to, like, actually get it done and do. But that being said, in the calendar year of 2000, uh, 2021, Canada outscored. Uh, Canada scored the most goals, I think, by any country. Is what mm-hmm. the stat was. Um, we got some clues in, like, European countries, South American, uh, Brazil's, you know, the France's. Canada scored the most goals in 2021 calendar year. And then, like, you get the chances in this game and you can't put one away. Mm-hmm. That's where, to me, it's like, did we, are we putting Canada's, um, like, skill set? Are we wait, weighting it higher than what it actually is because they have qualified against CONCACAF teams? Like, the level of competition is very different, obviously. You're playing the mm-hmm. World Cup right now. Like, you're qualifying against Honduras and, you know, uh, El Salvador, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then now you're coming against Belgium, and then you're going to have Croatia on Sunday. Those are two very different teams than mm-hmm. El Salvador and Honduras, let's say. And even though when we did qualify, we didn't, like, blow teams out. We weren't winning, like, 7 nothing, 4 nothing. All Like, it was still relatively close. We did score a lot of goals, but it's still relatively close games. We weren't smashing countries in qualification. But I just think it's, it's frustrating because, again, a lot of the pundits that have been speaking are not... I don't want to say they're new to following soccer. They're new to the game, but they're just kind of happy that Canada's here. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, we are too. Like obviously, we're like I'm not denying that. I'm not doubting that. I'm not putting them down. But it's like to them, this game is like a huge positive, a huge victory in Canadian soccer because we mm-hmm. showed up against Belgium. Mm-hmm. You're the only team in your group without a point. Yeah, and you played the best out of all four teams. Yeah. <laughs> You like you shouldn't be happy right now. Like I'm like I don't want to be the the doubter. I want to be like the guy to put the team down because yes, it was a great achievement. It was great to watch from a fan standpoint. We obviously had our chances. If we would have scored the PK, if we would have scored at least two more chances like during the game, like yeah, we this would be a very different mentality on this podcast right now for this episode. Yeah, like we'd be jumping up and down, like blasting Vuvuzelas and whatever. You know, yeah, it'd be mm-hmm. nuts. But that didn't happen. Right. And it could have happened and it should have happened. Like I said, we played yeah. the best out of all four teams in our group. We have nothing to show for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think... Uh, Am I being too critical? No, I mean, like, you have to... I think it, it's a big mentality in Canada that, like, it's like a victory being here, which it is. It is. But you have to, I think, also, like, start rise vacation, which I think Herdman is the type of coach where he is, where it's not, like, you know, everything, like, going forward is a cherry on top thing. Like, he's going into this, like, no, we, like, we can win all these games. They proved it against Belgium. Like, they were the better side, and they could have won, and they didn't. But um, he's probably going mentality, like, no, we have a game plan. We're going to get out of the group. We're going to, like, treat this like every other team every other big team in this tournament that we could win and we have a game plan going in. It's not like, you know, let's, let's party. And like, you know, we already won and now like everything else is just a bonus. I think there he's going in with the mentality that he yeah. wants to win. Um, and I think that's a good mentality to have, you know, I think um, if you want to start, you know, consistently being considered a top side and, um, you know, being a team that I guess quote unquote belongs in the world's cup, that's kind of the mentality you have to go with, right? And for me, Canada showed it up like the the entire game. It's just they didn't get the result. Um, and one thing I do want to touch on is the penalty. Um, uh, anyone who didn't see it, we posted our live reaction to that. Uh, 
on uh, Instagram. I think it was a story, so might have to post that as an actual post, so yeah, it we'll, stays we'll in re- there forever. Repost it, yeah. But um, I, I, I mean, there's been tons of talks about like Davies being the one taking it versus uh, uh, David. Um, and Herdman came out and said that you know he thought it was going to be uh, Jonathan David, but he leaves it up to the players on the field on who's going to take it. Which I feel like a lot of coaches do, but for me, um, and I'm not a, obviously a professional coach, so you know who am I to say this? But for me, I think you should make it very clear who your PK takers are because if someone's lining up to take a PK, it's like you know, like this. It's it's you staying in the World Cup implications, right? Um, or you look at the season, like for example, when Hallen took his PK, it was like last last chance against Fulham, they won the game. Um, it usually comes down to like a very big uh, uh, implication type deal. So I personally think you should make it like very strict to your players, like regardless of what's happening, this is the person taking the PKs like first up, unless he specifically says like he doesn't want to take it and he's not feeling it or whatever reason, because obviously you have to be in the right mental state, then it's going to be this person. Like you have a very clear criteria of what the structure is going to be. Um, Because then you have situations like this where I, this is pure speculation for me, but I think, you know, when uh, the PK situation happened, the reference to the monitor, I guess Davies picked the ball and like he was going to go take it. Um, You know, obviously, you know, he wanted to be the guy to score Canada's first goal. But, you know, we can't disregard the facts of what his PK um, stats are mm-hmm. and what Jonathan David's are. I mean, Jonathan David's the PK taker for Lil, and Davies has scored one out of three PKs. And Courtois, obviously, like Joe was saying, studied, you know, David and uh, Davies's um, PKs that they've been taking. So that's just my opinion. I think it should be very strict. Like, no. Jonathan David is taking all RPKs. Doesn't matter who earned it. Doesn't matter who like really wants to take it. He's taking the PKs and a story. Um, but that's yeah. that's just gonna be. It's not like a charity case. Like oh, like I I want to do it this time. Or hey, like I haven't had a PK in a while. Like no, it it goes to the guy who with the most mm-hmm. confidence, either in himself or yeah, in the team around him to score. Yeah. Like like you said, Jonathan David, he takes the PKs for Lil. I don't think. I don't think Alfonso Davies is like nothing against him. I don't think he's taking the PKs for Bayern Munich. No, I'm pretty sure there's a few other guys ahead of him on the on the the, the game sheet that are going to yeah. take the PK mm-hmm. for him. Jonathan Davies' case, he's the starting striker for Lille. They won the league two years ago, I believe, in in the uh, league. Huh? Mm-hmm. Like he was a big part of that. He's the top striker in the league. He, he does this for a living. He should be the guy to take the shot. Yeah, and I think we all said it because we didn't know at the time. I don't think like that David was this good of a PK taker and he didn't have like this pedigree. But during the game, all three of us were like, I don't think Davies takes PKs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was a little surprised. Like he grabs the ball and I'm like, I've never seen yeah. him take one for Canada. And like I said that, I think during the broadcast on Wednesday, I'm like, I never, I don't think he takes them for Bayern Munich. Like why would he? Mm-hmm. So I thought it was very strange. I get it. Him being like captain Canada, kind of like our, you know, like our rallying yeah. guy. Like he's like the, you know, he was there from, I think in the in 2016 or whatever it was when Canada got awarded the bid for 2026, he was like mm-hmm. our representative as like a 17 year old mm-hmm. or something going to like FIFA headquarters to like promote yeah. Canada. So like at a very young age, he's been our Canadian spokesperson going mm-hmm. forward for the men's national team. So it would make sense. Like yes, this big stage, it's Alfonso Davies. He's gonna get the you know Nike 
you know, uh, commercial after this, you know, like it's going to be like the grand Canadian heritage moment that we see on the TV all the time. So the stars aligned. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if if you don't score, like it's all for nothing. Yeah. And I did hear something where, um, well, I mean, I'll say this first. If John, the only reason Jonathan David shouldn't have taken it is if he told Alfonso Davis, like, you can have it if you want it, because then he's not in the right mental state. I feel like that wasn't. I, if we don't know. If that's know, not but... the case, then I think he should have taken it. I do know there's the uh, the whole thing where Alfonso Davies does have more experience um, on a stage slimmer than this with that kind of pressure um, with Bayern Munich. Um, but at the end of the day, like, it's not like Jonathan David's playing like in some slouch league he's playing for Lille so um I think if he was willing to take it he probably should have um but at the end of the day we're never gonna know like what the conversation between them was so yeah like you said you have to score (laughs) you have especially against Belgium you're in the World Cup for the first time you're not gonna get that many chances so well (laughs) I guess you are but (laughs) um you're not gonna have uh too many PKs go your way um, or you're not going to get that many PKs against Belgium. So you have to convert on those. Um, and yeah, I did one interesting thing. And I wonder, like, they probably didn't do this. I saw that Harry Kane, when he takes PKs, um, he decides days before what he's going to do. And he just trains, like, at training, taking that PK. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming that didn't happen with Davies, which is, I think, goes back to what you said. You need, like, a designated PK taker. Because, it, like, it's tough. Like, PKs are tough. You need it's a lot of pressure. You need to be in the right mental space, and like you need to train for taking PKs. So it's not like it shouldn't be in game decisions unless the other person's either injured or is really feeling the pressures. Like, no, I can't take it. Which in that case, you should have like a secondary person that's also been practicing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to the untrained eye, a PK looks very simple. It's not, but it's not. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, no. no, it's like you're, you're yeah, you're twelve yards away, you just blast it at the net. Like it's not that no. easy. Like. Yeah, like, you, the, all the pressure is on the shooter. The goalkeeper has no pressure. No, because you know, like you're not expected to make a save. Mm-hmm. Like you're expected to score, so that's like added pressure, correct? Yeah. So I mean, it's they're nerve wracking. We've all been part of it before. Yep. Um, I'll miss, some, uh... more than, some more than others, but it's very, <laughs> it's, it's it's yeah, it's very tough to do. And um, I mean, yeah, we can just kind of get more to the game now, I guess, for that PK to happen. I forget the exact minute. It was first ten minutes of the game. I mm-hmm. think it was like eighth, ninth, ten minute, tenth minute. That would have. Let's just say let's just say he scored. That would have flipped the game on its head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I don't think how the game played out is how it would have played out if we would have scored that goal. I think Belgium would have been like a wake up call kind of thing. And they would have been like, Oh shit, like we gotta play a lot better now. Which I don't know if that would have helped or hurt Canada because we played very well counterattacking wise. Mm-hmm. And like Joe said, our able, our ability to build out of the back was very impressive. Yeah. So if we were to be able to do that with a Belgium side that was kind of staying more neutral. I wonder how we would have played against that if we would have scored and Belgium would have been attacking more and they would have had more gaps in midfield coming back on a counter mm-hmm. by Canada. Mm-hmm. I think we may have like played a little bit better. But, I mean, in this game, like the fact that we did hold majority of the scoring chances, we did have a lot of pressure. Yeah, the possession was in Belgium's favor, but like Asato said, it was not threatening pressure. Mm-hmm. Like when we had the ball for that 46%, it was attack, attack, attack. Like it was like we were putting all the pressure on them, a lot of play in their half, uh, Belgium's half. And he yeah, had 22 shots, only three on target. Tough. But 
it's going to come, I think. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we did play against the biggest team in our group first. Yeah. Again, I, I, I wish the result was different, but I think it does help us that we played against Belgium first. Yep. And now going against Croatia, I mean, I guess the second best country in our group. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, like, like I think like Joe said, a very similar game, I think. But just hopefully that, that finishing has got to be there, mm-hmm. right? And the only thing I'll say about just the way that we played as well and like the the reaction like afterwards, like post-game and everyone's comments, I think Santos said the fact that we did come out as strong as we did and the fact that we did outplay them like we did, it's a different reaction coming from the loss as if like if, if Belgium was on the front foot. Yeah. And yeah. like we just kind of held off and we were like getting by with the skin of our teeth and they scored a goal and like we just lost one nil. It'd be a very different reaction. If yeah, that yeah. was if that was the case, then it'd be like, okay, yeah, we played pretty good. Like, yeah, yeah. like we played against Belgium for Pete's sake. You know, like, they're a really <laughs> good team. But it was the opposite effect. Yeah. It's like we played so good, we should have won this game. Yeah. Like, that's the killer part of it. And that's why like like I was saying, I think it right after the game, it's like, man, if we were just on the back foot the whole game and they got one goal, it's like that was really good. We defended yeah, really well. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I would take nah. more, I would take more positives out of a loss like that than what I get out of this game. I yeah. take, I'm taking more negatives out of this game than if the result was the same, but if we yeah. got we got shit on. And I think it's because I'm expecting like I said I'm expecting the same thing against Croatia. I'm just concerned like what we how yeah, many we, how many finish? shots do we need to score? Will we finish? Yeah, will we finish? Cuz like we'll probably have a similar amount of chances that game than we did this game, so it's like are we going to have composure enough to score? So, I don't know. I'm really thinking that for the Croatia game, I think Herdman will put Laren and um, David together. Because mm-hmm. I think, like he said, or this game, he started David first, and then Laren came on as a sub, I think, for Larea, or I believe it was. Yep. Or is that, I think that's what it was? Yep. So, I think heading into the next one, I was kind of surprised Laren didn't get the start in this game as well. Because like, I think you just got to go like your best possible side forward. Mm-hmm. Like, you're only here... I mean, not hopefully not just once, but you're, this is your first World Cup appearance in 36 years. Yeah. Like you have to start your best, most attacking, threatening side going forward. And I think Laren and David together, um, whether, you know, they play like two strikers or they play, you know, a front three and one of them goes out wide. I think that is our best chance to score. How did we line up? Yeah, uh, so we did play like a single striker. Yeah. Well, like it's, it's kind of like a three, four, three. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe instead of Hoy that you put Laren there and do like a, a trifecta of Buchanan, uh, Laren, and David. Buchanan mm-hmm. showed up. He played really well. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was he was good. Um, you know, he had tons of chances going forward. Nice flashy young kid playing for Bruges in Belgium. So, you know, he's used to like the Belgian, not these players because they don't play in Belgium, a lot <laughs> yep. of these guys. But he's used to like the, the culture of like the Belgian game a little bit. But he showed up. He played very well defensively other than just the one long ball over top. Like we played very well. Borjan didn't have to make many saves. Mm-hmm. Like, man, like, yeah. what what could have been from this game? And again, it it was a loss too. Yeah, yeah. Like you couldn't even sneak out a draw. Again, I said it before. We played the best out of Morocco, Croatia, Belgium, Canada. We played the best. We showed the best. Yeah. Out of all four teams, and we have nothing to show for the like in this handings. Yeah. Which is all that matters in the end of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Very tough. Um. So some other maybe controversial instances in the game. Another missed call. I don't know how it was not given a PK. Um, I think it was Larea got fouled in the box. Yeah, got his foot stepped on very clearly by Axel Witzel. Yeah, like 
I'm I, still I, confused. I it, yeah. didn't, it didn't even VAR didn't even look at it, or they did, and they deemed it not even a foul. So I don't know how. Yeah, yeah for, that's a thing. I and mean, we've seen VAR do some goofy things already in this tournament. Yeah, I'm honestly like part like I feel like this isn't the case. Part of me is honestly a little concerned that they just didn't see the the footstep, where they just looked at the like the push contact in the back and just deemed that not a PK. Like part of me is actually concerned that they just didn't see him step on his foot. Um, which I'm assuming I'm wrong, but there's like there's doubt for me with VAR sometimes because they just like they just miss blatant things. So it's it's a question as yeah. to how you're missing these blatant things because. There's no reason why it shouldn't have been a PK. I mean, Witzel's clearly behind Larea, steps on his foot, and you know, yeah, it's a, it's a PK every every day of the week. So yeah. that's uh, I just I don't know. I don't really know what to say other than it's it's yeah. just something they clearly missed. Yeah, and I've heard. Well, I guess I've heard some pundits say like, oh, um, he initiated contact. Which, you know, maybe like, yes, okay, maybe he does stick his leg a little bit out to the left. But if you get stepped on, I mean, you go back to the Portugal-Ghana game. No, who did they play? That's right, yeah. Did they play Ghana? Yeah. Ronaldo's PK was like way less contact. It was like the same contact minus the foot stomp and he got a PK for it. Yeah. So that's where it comes back to. It's like no consistency for what's even a foul anymore. Um, so I'm just super... Because <laughs> I saw it. I'm like, well, that's exactly what happened in the Canada game. And he's getting a PK. And Barb's like, yep. So it's just... It just doesn't really make any sense to me. Is that mm-hmm. situational on who it is? <sighs> probably. Yeah. And that like... And I really don't like that this is probably a thing. But the fact that Canada already had a PK... I feel like it's well, they can't give them two. It's like yeah. human nature almost, where you're almost looking for a reason to not give another one. But you can't take the le- legitimacy out of what a penalty uh, is, for sure. Like that's hundred percent. Yeah, I especially feel like... now in the world stage, like the world's watching. Yeah, like we talk VAR every week on the Footy Fans Podcast from the Premier League standpoint, and that's just the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there's week every single week there's. For all of our listeners, there's at least 20 minutes of podcast <laughs> we put aside for VAR talk. Yeah. And that's just on one weekend of football in England. This is the world stage, World Cup. There's four games a day. Like we, you know, we're gonna, There's been, I don't know, what, math? Yeah. 32 games already played? No, yeah. 16 games already? 18? I don't know. A lot of games already played. Yeah. And, I mean, VAR has been, it's been there. It's, <laughs> it's been looked at a few times already. I, whatever I don't know like pick a side but it's frustrating as hell and I don't I don't want to make this like um, a talking point I don't want to like get scrutinized for this or anything but the fact that all these referees are from different parts of the world too and like they don't have maybe the same caliber of players in their league or the same like it's very different you know what I mean like, like mm-hmm. the referees for this game for Belgium and Canada were from Zambia yeah. Like I don't know. Like I'm not saying the Zambian soccer league isn't good, which it might not be. But like you're taking the best officials from Zambia, and you're putting them in the World Cup against with Belgium and Canada. Yeah. Like I don't know if that plays a factor somewhat, where like they're just not exposed to this caliber of soccer. They're not exposed to these players that like the the stage, you know, yeah. as, as opposed to you know Anthony Taylor, who's going to be doing games for the English, you know, refereeing corps. Or the Italian referees that ref Syria, you know, it's very different. Yeah. 
um, exposure for the referees as well. And they have a hard enough job as it is. But now, again, the world stage of the World Cup, you're being scrutinized with way more, way broader, you know, audiences watching. Yeah. So you know, a lot more pressure on these referees. And it's like, I just don't want it to come down to something like, yeah. again, a VAR controversy in like the semifinal for yeah. the team to go to the World Cup final. Like, I don't want it to yeah. be that storyline as the tournament goes on when we do see stuff like this happen. Like, it's happened in the Canada game, the, arguably the Portugal or Ghana game. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, Qatar could have had an easy penalty shot that was not given for a very similar foul. It got fouled from behind. Yeah. Like, going on net, it was not called. But it's the exact same thing as Ronaldo. Yeah. I think it's more so... It doesn't really matter where the referee's from. You just need referees that are used to this pace of play. Well, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't... Yeah. Like, again, I picked this game out, out of... Yeah. Because this is what I saw. <laughs> it's... Yeah. You watch this game. Referees are from Zambia, Belgium, Canada, World Cup. It just doesn't add up. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And no, I mean, for what, I go back to this. I, for whatever reason, I feel like refs forget how to ref when the foul's inside the box. It's like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if Larea's running down the touchline and Witzel comes from behind, nowhere near the ball, and there's like a foot stomp, and he goes over, it's getting called for sure. Not like, oh, he initiated contact, and he sticked out. It's like, no. Like, it's a foul. Yeah. It's a foul. And then what's interesting about the uh, other one, where well a it like they called it offside when it clearly shouldn't have been hazard passed it back mm-hmm. to uh buchanan i think and then it's like to they said toby uh goes in for the tackle and he kicks buchanan well he his fall through i guess buchanan it's like but if you look really closely at the replay he gets a toe on the ball it's like yeah but he's obviously still reckless because his studs are still showing and he's like going through his ankle yeah you know what i mean so it's it's like for sure that's a probably a foul in the middle of the field because it's like oh you're not really in control anymore mm-hmm. but it's like oh like uh, for whatever reason in the box like oh like you can do that and just like where's the contact on the ball it's like no but if you're still out of control it's does showing and it's reckless it's still a foul so i don't i don't know why var didn't understand those two points when well, we're at or for at least like oh he got a touch on it, not a foul. It's like, well, no, but like you can see his studs showing. Like, why don't you call the ref over to make the decision for himself? Because a, he pro- the ref for sure didn't see the foot stomp, probably, and he probably because the offside happened. So he's like, oh, offside, I don't have to make a decision. Well, he didn't get a call. It's like, well, it's actually not offside, and there's a situation where his studs are showing, and you got to like make a call as if it's like reckless or not. The fact that VAR makes that decision for him when he's not even thinking about those two things makes no sense. Yeah, whatsoever. And that's what I find difficult too, because it's again when people are in the VAR booth, they're away from the situation. Their their emotion is not in the game. Yeah, they're just like sitting behind a computer, like we are right now. Like yeah, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they have no skin in the game. Like they're not running around with these players. They're not talking to the players every single time. They're not the one that's to deal with the camera on them. Like yeah, when they make a decision. So good point. And it's I don't know if VAR could have even looked at that because it was called offside, but like. No, they could have. I, I don't know how that would have worked. Because there's think, always stipulations with VAR. Well, because I think because the ref, uh, the foul happened after the ref, or no, the the foul happened before the ref blew the whistle. Oh, the, was it the foul was still like active? I guess. Okay, mm-hmm. is what I heard, and because that's what well, that's what I'm the pundits saying. They're like, oh, but like I don't think it should have been a PK because he got a touch on the ball. It's like that doesn't matter. It's still reckless. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you go in two feet and get a touch on the ball. Like it's still a foul. That's yeah. Red card. <laughs> you know what I mean? Red card. Red card. Some, it's yeah. like, oh, you got a touch on the ball. It's like the, yeah. the box does not dictate 
any sort of contact on the ball means it's not a foul. It's like there's clearly other factors that go into if it's a foul or not. Yeah. So, but that's what I mean. I think, sure, the ref probably, like, for the offside is understandable. He's like, oh, it's offside. It shouldn't have been. But the fact that he didn't get called over for that, like I said, and he didn't get called over for the foot stomp doesn't really make any sense. Because, like I said, if you're a ref, you're in the game, you, in your mind, you, you're aware of, like, what the, like what was happening in real time there where VAR's just like looking at like looking at like a a slow mo like in a box type frame thing which really frame. doesn't dictate like what yeah. actually happened in that phase of play. So yeah, the, very very strange for me. The the stomp one on the Ray are really frustrates me because that's yeah. that's very much like what VAR is there to do. Mm-hmm. Referee missed. Referee thinks it's just fell on the back, but it's actually not. It's way more worse than what it is. Yeah, VAR is supposed to look at it and say. Like, yeah, bro. Like he got stepped on. Like that's, like you. That's more than what you thought. Yeah. I I don't know why that wasn't given. Um, very frustrating for us from our Canadian standpoint. Uh, one nothing loss to Belgium. It's the final score there. Luckily for us, though, in the group as well, Morocco and Croatia did tie early in the game. So, damage limitation, I guess. I mean, if you are, if you were gonna lose this game, which we did, that's another thing too. We. In our last in the in their preview episode, we said probably win draw loss would be what Canada is most expected to do maybe yeah. in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Like that would be, I maybe not ideal, but that would be like what we would think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe four points. Yeah, you had a chance to get three points in your first game against against the best team in your group. Yeah, blown opportunity. That being said, the other game was a draw, so like you're only one point back now. Yeah. So like, but I think Joe said it actually on Wednesday when we were watching the game. This loss, like what this loss means, and the draw that came from Morocco and Croatia, you have to win your next two games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like now, it's like you can't lose to Belgium, maybe draw Croatia, and then try and maybe beat, no. beat Morocco and hope Croatia ties Belgium, like some other yeah. crazy like situational thing. You have to get six points now from your next two matches. Yeah, because if you tie Croatia and for whatever reason, because Belgium, like you would think they'd beat Morocco. If you tie Croatia and something crazy happens in the Belgium game, then you're out. And you're like, if you don't beat Croatia, you're you're not in control of your destiny anymore. Yeah, the which first you don't want the first game of any tournament is the most crucial because it sets you up for yeah better odds. You know, depending on what you do, like getting a a win or a draw a, a win preferably go to getting a draw your first game. Not the end of the world. Lost your first game, tough. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm sure there must be some stats on hand where, like, it's a probably very small percentage of teams yeah. get out from win, from losing their first game. I don't know what the number is, but yeah, you I can probably doubt... check at, like odds of making out of group after losing your first game and like odds of getting out of group after winning the first game are probably very high. Yeah. I always think so. And I mean, it, could, it puts us behind the eight ball now. And, um, if we do come out the same way against Croatia on Sunday, which they'll be, they'll probably want to play better too than how they did, how they did against Morocco. I mean, you would think Morocco is like the weakest team in the group. Croatia should have came out and really destroyed them, but kind of like what we alluded to in our podcast, our preview episode, Croatia just had nobody finishing. Kind of like how Canada did. They didn't mm-hmm. even they didn't generate as many chances as Canada did, but you could really tell the lack of finishing from the Croatian side. Mm-hmm. They just don't have. Jonathan David. They don't have a guy who's gotten 25 goals, 30 goals a, a season in a top-tier league like David has in Liga in France. Mm-hmm. So that kind of helps me. Like It puts me at ease a little bit, maybe. Like They might have to try and find some secondary scoring um, for the other creations. Yeah. But us, if we just play the way that we did, but we just convert one of our 22 chances, 
then I think we could, you know, see a positive result against Croatia if the game goes how we hope it to go. Yeah. Based on our game against Belgium. Yeah. I mean, like like you guys said, like this is for sure a must win. Um but I I feel like Canada's gonna like really come out this game because I feel like there is some confidence they could take from the Belgium game. Um it's just again my whole fear is that like us being able to be clinical in the final third. Because uh, we just we just really didn't take our chances, obviously. Um, I am a little concerned of little number ten Modric running around. Because um, I do find with Belgium, like they like they had Tielemans, you know, Kevin De Bruyne was like a shadow of what he is for Man City. Um, Hazard was like in and out of the game. Um, I'm just really worried for Modric because like he shows up like I've never, I feel like I've never seen him have a bad game. He always shows up for his team. So my whole concern is that when we, you know, we, we really bossed, I think uh, Belgium in the middle of the park. Um, You know, there were instances where we had some gaps there, but you know, Belgium weren't really clinical and taking advantage of it. My whole worry is that if you have like Modric running around, like, the guy obviously knows what he's doing and I feel like he's going to find some gaps. You know, the guy can ping a pass. So that's just my whole concern that even though I wouldn't put Croatia as good as an overall team against Belgium, I'm just a little worried about how he's going to exploit our midfield that Belgium weren't able to do. Uh, Cause again, like go back to the, the Champions league uh, final or no Champions league against Man city. When guy picks up the ball, on the touchline, just pings a pass in the 18. They just put it in the back of the net. Belgium didn't have that, and I don't know how Canada's going to like manage that against them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like Kevin De Bruyne's no, like he's not that far off Modric. Um, and we were able to. I think he's better. To be honest, oh, yeah. I think I think he's better too. It's just yeah. Kevin De Bruyne and Belgium. They like the, whenever Belgium shows up, it's yeah. not. It's yeah. not the KDB who. Right. Um, yeah. We'll have to see. Um, I do. I mean, like Andrew said, like it's not like Croatia have a really threatening number nine either. Yeah. Um, not because it's not like Real Madrid where he's like pings the ball to Benzema, who's on like an informed Kareem Benzema who's gonna put in anything, right? Mm-hmm. So it might be a little bit different, but you know maybe we can shut him down in the middle of the park. We kind of did this game, and what I also liked about Canada is like how quick we were to like close down the ball. Yeah. Out of possession, so maybe it'll be similar to that, where. You know, some other teams who maybe think they're against a better side try and drop off and defend where Canada's just like, no, we got to win the ball back. So if they can do that, I think they got to just approach the same way they did Belgium, just go on the front foot, um, press really high. Um, I think it should be fine, but we'll see. Yeah, I think what Herdman had Canada do was have Eustachio on De Bruyne. Mm-hmm. That, was, yeah. that was like the matchup to watch. I think during the preview show, they kind of said that, they or they alluded to that he was going to be not like man marking De Bruyne because I don't think Eustache is more of like a defensive midfielder. I think he likes to get forward and attack. But it was like when you're in the middle of the pitch, like you be around him. Like don't give him mm-hmm. space kind of thing. So if they try and do the same thing with Modric, with Eustachio or Osario, whoever goes in there at the time, um, whoever else can play the center mid spot, I think it, they might be able to kind of contain him. But we did see like when, when there was chances that Canada did get broken down, like our middle of the pitch was exposed. Yeah. Like, we didn't do a good, very good job with that. Because there was a couple of times that Belgium had numbers going back or going towards Canada's end, and it was, like, five on three or something. <laughs> yeah. Or De Bruyne was, like, carrying the ball in space, which he never wanted to do that because he's yeah. just clinical, he's lethal, he can he can score, he can make a pass 
you know, in, in any kind of space. So there was a few times that that did happen, but I mean, we, yeah, we did shut them down for the most part. It was a, it was a long ball that went in. Like it was mm-hmm. like, they didn't break us down. It wasn't like our, 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 our easiest reference for us is like a Man City game when they have possession around the box, they do tiki taka and like a tap in yeah. for Haaland. That didn't happen. Yeah, that wasn't even, that. None, nothing like that, like that even was close to happening, at any spell of the game. Yeah, like Belgium tried a little bit, but we shut them down. It was a long ball over the top. Got defenders got beat, and then they scored. Yeah, like that's mm-hmm. and, and that's gonna happen. And like that's how good teams do find ways to win because if they can if they can sense that they won't be able to gain possession against us, they won't be able to break us down. They have to try something different. It worked. Mm-hmm. <sighs> 44th minute too like right before halftime like yeah and you're you're saying it too it's like i don't want this to happen we're controlling the game and then belgium get like some crappy goal right before half and then like and it <laughs> just play by play happen exactly like that which is the worst right you're yeah. being on the front foot and getting scored on before half is like the like the biggest punch in the gut like the they chain can, they have it changes a lot of things. It changes what Herdman's thinking at halftime. Yeah, it changes the team's mentality going in the second half. It changes what he would do substitution wise and tactically, because that's what you would do right at halftime. You get your players all in a group, make adjustments, do this and that. They had to flip the script because now they're trailing at halftime. Yeah, while outplaying Belgium, you know, like like crazy for forty four minutes, mm-hmm. forty three minutes, I guess it's called that. Um. So yeah, that's that's our little Canada wrap. I mean, it was again. I'll conclude on this from my point of view. It was a hell of a game to watch. Yeah, and to it be was. and to be a part of. It was exciting. It was very cool. Yeah, you know, we were locking arms at the beginning of the game, singing the O Canada. Like it was, it was, it felt really cool. I felt yeah very patriotic. Um, I'm just, I wouldn't do the same thing for Olympics hockey as most people maybe mm-hmm. would in this country, but for. For Canada football, for the World Cup, it was very cool mm-hmm. to be like Canadian supporter. Yeah. Um, for once, like when it actually mattered on like the world stage for Canada. Yeah. So I, I think from my point of view, again, it was, it was very, uh, it was a little emotional. It was very cool. Yeah, it, it was, was, it was cool to, yeah, but cool to be a part of like the first time. Yeah. Um, but the final result for me is just it's tough to get over that, based on how he did play. Yeah. Yeah, again, very, very cool to see it for the first time in our lifetime. Um, and for Canada, feel like we're actually like competitive. Well, you know, seemingly now that we're actually competitive because uh, the first time we were in the World Cup. Um, not so much. Uh, yeah, not really. Mm-hmm. Not competitive. I think, like, we, d- I know we didn't score, but like, I don't, I think our shots like on target was like, mm-hmm. like I think we had like three. Yeah, for the whole tournament, like for the, all three games, like I think our biggest success was losing one nothing to France, which was what I thought this Belgium game was going to be. Like France just like running over us and like only scoring once was like our biggest success. So it is different now, but again, really cool to see the Canada flag like on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool. Um, so the other the other country that we're going to really keep a close eye on, England, uh. Dominating performance first game. It's called yeah. pretty dominating. Yeah. Um going against Iran in the first match of their group. Six two victors goes to the side of England. Um, I mean I, there's nothing to really talk about much in this game. Like it was they played against Iran, very different sides, very mm-hmm. different um caliber of players, you could say. They played good, obviously. They won six two. 
Um, but for me, the takeaway was was uh, Saka. I think like his performance because on Arsenal, he's more of like the setup kind of guy. He will get his chances with, like with his pace and his his technical ability. But for him to score two great goals in this game, yeah, and you know just to be threatening the whole time, like clearly, like look at the at the score sheet here. It's all wing play for the majority of the goal scorers here. Yeah. Um, Harry Kane had two assists. I'm not sure how many shots he had towards the net, but he was more of like again like a target kind of layoff guy to the speedy wingers of Saka and Sterling, who both um, ended up scoring this game. Rashford came on, scored 30 seconds after he came on, basically. Uh, Jack Grealish got a goal for himself too. That's a nice little confidence booster for him because he doesn't score many goals, even though he works his ass off a lot of the time. Yep. And the young kid Jude Bellingham scored the first goal for England in this tournament. Mm-hmm. So, like, from Southgate's standpoint, like, this game won. Like, everything clicked. Yeah. And, like we said, like, winning your first game is huge. Then getting the matchup against Iran, like, game one, it's obviously a, a positive for them going mm-hmm. forward. Like, they were probably looking forward to this game uh, to get off on the front foot. But coming back uh, today, actually, recording this podcast on Friday night. So, the second group, oh, second game of this group just wrapped up a couple hours ago. England versus USA, very different game. Very yeah. different. Uh, nil-nil draw, the final in this one. And, I mean, you would think that this is probably the toughest matchup for the group, I guess, for England's uh, point of view. But I'm surprised that they didn't actually score yeah. or, or pull a, a result from this one. Yeah. Um, going back, I just want to touch on that rain game. Yeah. Um, the fact that England's finally lining up as a four-two-three-one um, is kind of relieving to me. I've never understood them playing three-three in the back with wingbacks going. Um, oh, sorry. Wait, low-key Harry Maguire starting was kind of hilarious. Yes. Um, why? Like, why is this guy here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he he's there. Um, you know, granted, you know, they they played Iran first match, so they were kind of in control um, during the England uh, U.S. game. Um, he didn't really have any like crazy things happen, but I'm, I'm going to touch on that. Um, but it's just good to see them lining up, which with in a way that I feel like actually complements their team. Um, but for me, like honestly, with this England U S game, I thought U S uh, were the better side. Uh, just the, the way they were just handling England, you know, especially on the counter, like they were not giving Harry Kane any time on the ball. I think, um, I, f- I don't know how it ended, but I think to, by the 85th minute, Harry Kane only had one touch in the in the U.S. Uh, box in the second half. Um, he was he was withdrawing a lot. Like, yeah. He was coming back a lot in this game. Because they were like the U.S. And this kind of goes to where I think uh, we talked about where the gaps are in the England side, where um, the U.S. were just bossing them in the middle of the field. Um, you know, Adams was just like unbelievable this game. Um, he he was running around everywhere, just not giving them any time on the ball. Um, and U.S. was taken to him like they were creating chances. Um, you know, I feel like if the if England would have scored late in the game, I feel like it would have been really hard done by to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, because they were just constantly uh, on the attacking attacking foot against them. Um, so I I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I would have thought England, it would have been kind of reversed where England was kind of just in control of this game, but credit to the U.S. for for really coming out. Um, but now U.S. is sitting with two ties. Got to win your next one. Um, I think they'll get it done against Iran. Um, 
and that uh, that loss uh, to Wales um, now is uh, it's really good for the U.S. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> did, really didn't expect that to happen. Yeah, that game was pretty cool today. Iran versus. Wales. I didn't watch the highlights, yeah. but that's wild. really good for the U.S. Um, and the fact that they tied England's like probably like best case scenario, obviously aside from the U.S. winning. Um, but yeah, they're in control. Yeah. They just got to beat Iran, which I think they will. But who knows? We could see Iran beat the U.S. Iran beat Wales. But that's the thing. You could see Iran just like. When did the red card come for Wales? Um, there's a goalkeeper. It was in the like 70th minute. Okay, so it was already 80, 86th. Oh, so it was already game was, 86th. Yeah, Wayne is the 86th. So they scored before oh, then. No, the goals came after. Yeah, after the right card. 90, yeah. that's why, that's 90 why I plus thought, 8, 90 plus 11. That's why I thought it was so soon. I think so. We'll, we'll, we'll touch, we'll touch <laughs> on England. Whoa! We'll touch, we'll what touch, happened this game? We'll touch on England a bit more before we jump to some other other topics, but. Um, do we think they'll get out of the group against against Wales in the last game? England? Yeah. Like they just need to pull a result against Wales. Yeah, I mean they're they're gonna get out of the group. You would think. I um, I think even if they lose, they'll still get out of the group. Wales. I think they just have Wales to not. Win. They have to not lose by four goals. I mean, yeah. So like they're gonna get out of the group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you would think. Yeah, comfortably. Probably, yeah. Right? What? They just can't lose. Just don't lose. Yeah, <laughs> don't lose. And if you do lose, don't lose by a lot. Yeah. And then you'll get out of the group probably. But uh, should get out, I would think. Yeah, so, like I said, some of the bright spots, I think, were just like a lot of the wing play from England. Like I said, we did touch on it before where I think Harry Kane would have to like really like – in the games where they're not heavily the favorite, mm-hmm. like Kane's going to be heavily relied on because wing play – like you can only do so much on wing play. Like you can only have so many opportunities to flood the box and get goals from the wings you have to start looking to your striker to like actually be like the guy to get the goals for you. Mm-hmm. And like you said in this game, like Santo made a good point. Like he got neutralized by the American midfield and defense. Mm-hmm. Like he played and like n- nothing against Kane too. He's obviously top five, let's say striker in the world. Top 10. Yeah. So like he knows what to do. Like yeah. It's not like yeah. he's just like, you know, he's not Kiefer Moore from Wales. No offense to Kiefer Moore, but like very different kind of player, like, mm-hmm. but like the caliber, but like Kerry Kane knows how to score. He knows how to create chances and get open for himself. One shot on was it one touch in the box? He said he had this. Game? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it finished like that. But for the majority of the second half, yeah, no, he, he definitely like didn't have many yeah. many chances in in this match. No, um, no, no, no side really did either. It was eight shots for England, three on target, ten shots, one on target for the U.S. So very, very much like a midfield battle. It was very high pace at some points. So it was like back and forth, which probably would fit better for the Americans, but. Yeah, from from the USA standpoint, they just got to get it done. I mean, they got to go against Iran, which is going to be a tough one for them. I think uh, Iran's got like a lot of supporters there, um, just based on ge- ge- geography. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, just real quick though, the Iran Wales game that was nuts. Oh, sorry, uh, I want to touch on something real quick because okay. I don't. Um, Jack Grealish actually, I want to touch on a little bit um, because England had like basically nothing in the second half, like. U.S. was, like, really taken to him in the first half. Second half, England were really struggling. Because um, I feel like Jack Grealish gets a lot of slack for not scoring a lot of goals. When he came on, he actually started, you know, picking up the ball and carrying it, running down the field, mm-hmm. doing what he did for, for Villa a lot of time, and getting England possession in the final third, which, you know, I think people are starting to talk about it a little bit more, but you're really starting to notice it. He came on, and 
they started attacking the U.S. on his side. Um, he was drawing fouls, which you know we know is kind of um, what he's also. I don't know if I want to say good at, but kind of just what he does. Um, and he was saying to him, and England were actually starting to get chances. Um, so I just wanted to toss out some of that because, you know, a lot of people say how, like, stats have killed football, where it's like, oh, you didn't get a goal, you didn't get an assist. Yeah, you're not doing like, anything. You're not doing anything, but mm-hmm. you're, you're, whole, you're getting possession, you're getting your team possession in the final third, and that's leading to getting the ball to your playmakers, getting it to, like, Declan Rice, um, Henderson when he came on, Mason um, Mountain and, in the middle. and Mason Mountain getting and getting chances to Kane. So um, that was that was really good to see um, because I'm definitely a big proponent of you know you're not only contributing to your team when you get a goal and you get an assist. Mm. Um, look at Amaron, his first season at Newcastle. Um, a lot of people were talking about it where it's like you can't deny the impact he's having at Newcastle, even though he hasn't like really been on the score sheet or gotten assists. He is, you know, winning possession and holding possession and creating chances in the final third. And now uh, it's paying off for him too, though. Like now, for now, him, now it is. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so just wanted to toss that out there because the game did really change when he came on. Um, so yeah, he's a big, big anal- analytics guy, uh, Grealish. He's like an, an analytics dream because, like you said, he just like yeah. off the score sheet, he does a lot of running. Like he, mm-hmm. yeah, like they always like the tracker of like how many kilometers you run. Like he. He gets a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I think Pep. That's why Pep. I think fancies him because he's like I fancies. didn't. Yeah, well, because he didn't get. He, I think, he even said like I didn't get Jack for his goals and assists. And I think yeah. now you're seeing like he gets him because he gets the ball and he brings the ball up the field and the whole team gets up the field. He's just really good at holding the ball and getting it up the field, which is what really City need because uh, they're best when they're in the team's final third. So if you have a guy like Jack, you know, like you said, the stats don't always show how how much he contributes, but. Yeah. Now, most of that comes from the fan base. Let's just say yeah. what it is. Like fans want goals. Yeah. They pay hundred million pounds for them. It's like, what do you do for us? Like you don't score. Yeah. You don't get assists. Like why? Why are you here? But what's watching the game? It's different than just popping on your phone, looking at the score sheet. Another game, Grealish doesn't score. Like you know, what I mean, it's a very different mm-hmm. way yeah. to look at the game, right? What's the uh, stat in hockey? That that it's like fairly new, where it talks about like it's a measurement of a player for how much your team is in the uh, opposing teams, um, and oh. when you're like when you're on the ice, um, and it directly translates to how much possession of the puck your team has in the opponent's end. I forget. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know the name of it, but like, I know okay. what you mean. And the same with with uh, baseball. Baseball is the biggest analytics sport yeah. out there. Like we don't Moneyball. Money money ball. <laughs> we reference Moneyball a few times on the show. Um, wins above replacement is a huge number for um, baseball. It's like how many games your team wins when you're in or out of the lineup. Okay. And it's kind of similar to like what maybe you're alluding to, Santo. Like, mm-hmm. like how many scoring chances your team gets while you're on the ice. Like how beneficial you are to the team kind of thing. Yeah. They have that in baseball, and it's like very much looked at. Like the wins above replacement, usually number is like, I don't know, like two point something. But like for the top guys, it's like eight point whatever. And it's like yeah. the discrepancy between the top ten players in the league to like everyone else is like huge. Mm. Like it's it's wild. Mm. Um, so if they do have that somehow in footy, that'd be great to take a look at. Um, 
we'll come more prepared next time. Yeah. <laughs> Get these I, I don't just drop it on the spot. Like I don't think it exists right now, or it's not. Uh, I feel like it might develop, um, especially with this new attacking metric com- coming on. I would want to see how one, like how your team's attacking threat varies based on um, the possession, how much possession you're particularly getting. I feel like it wouldn't be the hardest thing to do. Like how much, um, how much is the attacking threat increasing for how often you're getting on the ball, mm-hmm. um, and like how how effective are you getting your team access to the final third? And so yeah. We'll see if that comes out. I feel like that'll really help because there's a lot of players that really contribute to their team that you'll never see on a score sheet that I think deserve more credit. Someone, someone's brain's racking with what you just said. How how quickly does your attacking threat tend to go up when you get possession of the ball? Mm-hmm. Love and it. And like, huh? Yeah. yeah. That's Someone, someone's Oracle, who can measure. Give a shout out to Oracle. Like, find that stat, Oracle. You've done the stats this yeah. year for the EPL and last year. Get it, get it done. Yeah. Oracle can relax a little bit though, too. Like the I, the win probability one for me is such a pain in the ass. Like, yeah, win probability and expected goals is kind of funny. Well, it's similar to like with with F one <laughs> racing. It's like expected to pass in like six laps or something like that. Like, you know, have you guys seen that one before? I think you've, I think we've talked. Yeah. It's like, it up it's like, I don't know, like a, a pit stop happens and someone gets new fresh tires and they're now on the chase. And it says like Verstappen to pass Hamilton in like six laps from now. Okay. And it's like, how the hell can you like, like how do you know this? Like, cause it's, it just gets based on like lap time, like how much quicker yeah. the mm-hmm. driver behind is going to the driver ahead of them. So it shows them by catching them by lap time. But, I've watched racing a lot the last few years, and like when that stat comes on, I just like want to change the channel. Yeah, because it never, it it rarely ever happens. Yeah, it ends up being like it says four laps, it ends up being like seven laps, or it doesn't even happen sometimes. It's very frustrating. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's not frustrating. It's just a it's a meaningless. Yeah, stat. yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything because you watch the sport for the instances that you don't know what's gonna. Happen. Yeah, just let it unfold because you don't know what implications yeah. are gonna happen. Like, why would you put out? a hypothetical stat that has a lot of factors behind it that might not even allow it to happen. Yeah. yeah. It like defeats the purpose of sport. It's yeah. Like, it's so, yeah, so what, what if, what if Liverpool win two thirds of the time against Leeds in this scenario? It's like, we're not watching it. We're watching it today for what's <laughs> yeah. going to happen today. Man City <laughs> scores one goal against uh Bournemouth in the fifth minute. It's like 98% win probability and then like losing. It's yeah. like, <laughs> why are you even putting that out there? Yeah. Anyways, um, a couple of teams that wish their win probability is a lot higher. Argentina. <laughs> got a zero win percentage. Yeah. Germany, zero win percentage. Um, probably the two biggest upsets. I would put the Saudi Arabia versus Argentina as the bigger one of the two. I, I would agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the podcast, we talked about J- uh, Japan and Germany having a tight battle. Yep. Santo alluded to the last World Cup. Japan was the one that knocked Germany out. Um, it might have been Korea. No, it was Japan. They actually, I think they referenced it in the broadcast. Yeah, because I think I think they said, they said something like that. Japan and Germany were the last teams that they played in the last World Cup. Like, okay, you know I mean? yeah. Like, I don't know if it was group stage or if it was knockout round, but like the like Japan versus Germany was was like the last time these two teams played a game in a World Cup competition, and then this is the first time. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. So that way. I'm pretty sure it's Japan Germany. Um. <laughs> But no, man, the Argentina Saudi Arabia. That this was a fun one. It was the early game <laughs> on on Tuesday. It was the five a.m. start for us. I was awake to watch it, and Argentina, man, they didn't 
they didn't they didn't surprise me. They didn't do much mm-hmm. to be honest. Um they got a penalty shot in the first um what was it? Ten minutes of the game, Messi PK scores it. Uh, but other than that, like honestly, yeah, the possession stats are always going to be there. We know that, but the goal scoring chances weren't as goal scorey as you would think. Mm-hmm. I mean, they weren't like high class. They weren't high quality. A few missed opportunities here and there, but Saudi Arabia, man, they play their asses off this game. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that their performance was bigger or better than what Canada did against Belgium. <laughs> But it was up there. Like they played really well. Yeah. Different different game though too. Yeah. Like I said, if flip the script, if this would have been how Belgium came out against Canada and we ended up getting the one nothing loss, but we held on and they like, played well, then I'd be happy. But yeah. in this game, Argentina took it to Saudi Arabia. They had three chances. They scored two of them. Yep. On counters and really nice goals. And it's all she wrote, baby. Two one win <laughs> for Saudi it. Arabia. Like. Yeah. Everyone's waking up to the to their phones to check in the score line because no one probably like woke up to watch this game, and they probably thought it was like a typo on there. Yeah, two on Saudi Arabia, top of the table for them, um, in this group, with Poland, Mexico as they drew nil uh, nil in their match. So Argentina looking looking up the up the group yeah. in yeah. the bottom there, and same with Germany. You know, Japan two one victories against them, another penalty for Germany. They that's how they score their goal. Japan comes down, makes some lead substitutions, 75th, 83-minute goals for them, and the Germans just couldn't convert. And yeah. it is similar to having, like, similar. it's really similar to actually watching Germany play to how Chelsea plays sometimes because they play false nine, mm-hmm. like not the pure striker. And so they had Havertz up there trying to, like, withdraw, be a target man. They had wingers, like Gnabry, trying to get forward and play well. Uh, Musiala, mm-hmm. I believe is his name. Good player. I'm um, going forward for Germany too, but just couldn't get it done. Yeah. And Japan just played structured. They played disciplined. Saudi Arabia played disciplined. They, you know, threw 11 guys behind the ball almost every single time. And again, it just goes to show what converting your chances can do and can mean during a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Japan had 12 shots on net, uh, 12 shots at net, four on target. Like I said before, Saudi Arabia had three and two. You got to score your chances you got, right? Yeah. Like 26 and, and 9. And here's, oh. like, what's most impressive for me with these with these upsets, it's that the favorite team scored first. Correct. So it's not like an upset where you're, like, you're kind of, you're sitting back, you're hanging on or whatever, you get a counter and you score. Like, they, they were behind against Argentina, Germany. You're, you're behind <laughs> on, like, the biggest clubs in the world, and... You you just converted your chances and you you won, and both goals not from open play. Yes, penalty shots. Yeah. So like they're get to mm-hmm. score. They have to score open play goals. So they didn't get to. They weren't able to break down these teams. Yeah. yeah, and it's that's what's most impressive for me. I mean, looking at the Saudi Arabia game, I mean they defended like it was the championship game, um, just all out. You know, Messi was would get the he'd take a touch near the eighteen, and he like the players were all over him. A lot of fouls in this game too, though. A lot of fouls. Twenty one fouls for uh, for Saudi Arabia. For Saudi Arabia. Um, and six yellow cards. Um, so <laughs> but I think like there there were some tackles like they made on Messi like sliding in the box like perfect tackles, uh, getting the ball off of him. Uh, so it's it's one of those things where I think you know Saudi Arabia went in you know nothing to lose you know you're the underdog and you just 
you just showed up to play. Um, I think they caught Argentina off guard. Um, and same with the Japan game. I mean, I their Japan's second goal. Um, I don't know if uh, you know, maybe you can pull it up here, but just the ball over the top, uh, and his touch to take it forward and to just hold off. Uh, I forget who was running uh behind him there. I don't know. If, it wasn't Rudiger. No. Um, but to hold him off and then just put it near post on New Year, Newer. Um, like. These are not like easy chances to convert, so it's it was just you know really good to see, uh, and I just I just love these types of games um, because it's like a wake up call to the players. Like you, there there's <laughs> not just gap. gonna stroll in here. <laughs> there's a there's a gap between the teams, but if you're off your game, like teams like Japan are gonna are gonna take it to you because they have they have quality um, and they can finish their chances just like this yeah this. yeah. Just the, like the la- that the laxness of yeah, like we saw with the, going back to Canada, Belgium. You saw it too. Belgium was just so lax in that game. Um, the only team I think that's maybe that's a segue uh, to the next section. Um, teams that weren't lax: Spain, Spain France, France, Brazil. Good games. Yeah, good, I mean good, they good, came good out and like, and you know, I, I you would think stuff like that comes down to coaching, where it's like. You know, you're not. We're not just going to show up um, to the World Cup and just roll over teams, and they're going to let us do it just because, like, oh, we're Germany, and, oh, we're yeah. Argentina. Like, teams aren't just going to like sit down and let let no. us do that. Um, so you have like, yes, you're the better team, but you have to show up because at this level, like, everyone's professional. Like, they teams will hurt you if you're not showing up. Yeah. Um, but these teams did, and Spain won pretty big, seven nil. Yeah, biggest biggest win in the World Cup so far. Um, yeah, Spain looks really really good. Uh, kind of just what you would expect from a typical Spanish side. Eighty two percent possession, but passes a thousand and forty five passes. Even more 93. impressively, ninety three percent pass accuracy. Um, <laughs> even more impressive, eight shots on target and seven goals. So, anyone who uh, <laughs> likes stats, this is the this is both efficiency and bossing a game um, at its finest. At its right? finest. Uh, yeah, one... they're just like they're just really good. Uh, Pedri and Gavi, you know, they're I think Gavi's still nineteen or something, mm-hmm. or Pedri's nineteen. Um, they're just like running the show, and they're teenagers yeah. at the World Cup. I don't think Germany's gonna get out of this group. Yeah, this was <laughs> like the group of death that we talked about most yeah. in our preview show. Yeah. Um just looking at I think Spain's is playing 20. Germany tomorrow, I believe. Um mm. at two. And Japan's playing Costa Rica. So if Spain beat Germany and Japan beat Costa Rica, Germany is out after That's false. What? The game's on Sunday. Sunday. Okay. Big Sunday for Canada, Germany, mm-hmm. Spain. <laughs> Belgium, like that's we'll, we'll be tuning on Sunday. Yeah, market calendars, you know, clear schedule Sundays. Um, that's gonna be. Let me see. Good ones. Yeah, Japan, Costa Rica. Yeah, that Japan wins that game. Germany's gonna be like, oh, dear. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you have to win your game or you're out. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, Spain, Germany. Is that probably like the biggest head-to-head that we're gonna see? Uh, in the group stage, I think so. Yeah. Most likely. I would say yeah. So yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, if Germany shows up like they did against Japan, Spain's going to w- literally walk all over them too. So they got to show up. Like I said, like you have to, you're not just going to go into a game and Spain's going to give you respect just because you're, well, they will because you're Germany, but if you don't show up, they're going to take you by the jugular. Yeah, different. <laughs> right by the jugular. Different, like different playing styles too, Spain, Germany, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you look at, um, like whenever we've seen before in the past, like Real Madrid playing against Bayern Munich in some form of the uh, the Champions League, it's like it's enticing game because Spain's gonna play high possession, Germany's gonna like defend more slightly more than likely and try and convert one or two chances, mm-hmm. but Spain's just gonna you know try and pump them and um, we'll see if Germany can maybe counterattack to those chances. I don't know, I don't see them as being like a quick counterattacking side. The Germans really, they're more tactical. They you know they're more take pride on defense i guess but to blow these two chances against or to blow two goals against japan basically on breakdowns too they weren't mm-hmm. like again kind of alluding to like the canada belgium game and they didn't come from a build-up it wasn't class it was just like oh let's just dink a long ball over top and like see what happens mm-hmm. and i feel like we can maybe see that more and more as the tournament goes on because like it's still 90 minutes but i feel like it's your time is shorter if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 no different than what you do in qualifying, it's no different than what you do for your club team. It's still a ninety minute game. But in the World Cup, it just seems so much more condensed mm-hmm. and under a microscope that like when you don't finish a chance or when you don't, you know, play as well as you should or whatever it is, it means so much more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's bigger, right? The impact is bigger. Yeah, you're only guaranteed three games. Yeah. If you if you lose your first, like we talked about, you're yeah. you're asking for trouble. Yeah, big time. And, like, yeah, so that was the Spain game. Um, France, with the no Benzema, doesn't seem like they're really going to miss him. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, not. obviously they will, uh, you know, pushing further into the into the knockout rounds most likely. But is he for sure gone for the whole tournament? I, I don't know the, his I, actual injury status. I don't know. I didn't check. I know he said he's out. I got to, like, there's, he put a post up saying how, um, oh, I'm out. Um, and I got to give the, the spot to someone else. Okay. Um, but well, that's someone else is Mbappe. So like, it's, I think they're okay. They're going to be all right. Giroud, yeah, yeah, Giroud, Mbappe and the whole world cup. Uh, Dembele, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they're doing okay. And, and like low key too, this game as well, like Australia coming out firing, you know, scored a goal in the first nine mm-hmm. minutes, took the lead. It only lasted, um, 18 minutes or so, but these big, these big countries, man, they kind of start off a bit slow is what we're noticing, right? Yeah. Is it because they're maybe undermining their competition a little bit and they don't think they have to come out firing or they're kind of complacent? Mm, I feel like it has something to do with that. Um, I find it really interesting that it's happening this World Cup because um, I, I saw this online, which, you know, it's it's pretty obvious, but it's just a thought that never crossed my mind. Um, usually for the World Cup and Euro Cup, you have players going in and they've had like a month off from their domestic leagues. So, you know, we all know what it's like to have a month off playing footy. You get back at your first game and it's a little like rusty, even after a month of not playing. Um, now, obviously, you know, teams have, uh, you know, they have matches in between, keeping them fresh or whatnot. It's not the same when you're playing in games that actually matter. We all know that. Um, but for this World Cup, um, Yet players that played like a week ago, a week and a half ago, and then come into Qatar and then play again. So they're they're up to speed, they're they're in form. Um, so they're they're just playing like they're they're normally gonna play in their season. And I feel like that's 
helping those players, obviously, because they're just in form, right? Um, so, you know, we saw with um, some games, you know, like England, for example, just took it um, in their first game. But I'm surprised that, they're, like, the big teams aren't coming out firing in that instance where you're you're just in your season and you're just playing more games. So I don't know if it's kind of uh, just undermining teams and thinking that it's going to be easier than it actually is, but uh, I don't know. I like it because in the past we all know it's like if Germany went against Japan, it like this is still an upset. I feel like ten years ago it was like an even bigger upset. Um, I feel like just every country is obviously getting better and better as time goes on. So it's making these a lot a lot more interesting for me of why these upsets are happening. I was going to say like, it's like every country's better. Like you look at you yeah. know, the, the African countries and South American and like what they used to be and how they were like pushover teams and stuff. But like Ghana didn't back down to Portugal. Mm-hmm. Senegal came out firing today against Qatar, got three, one win. Um, Ecuador ties Netherlands and they beat, they, they probably should have won that game. Yeah, they really should have. <laughs> and they beat, um, they beat uh, Senegal. They beat Senegal. No, Ecuador beat Qatar. That's what it is. Yeah. So, like, I mean, they're they're right there. Like, they, I mean, they're playing very well. And the level of competition, yes, there is still like obscurities where it's like you have like just godly teams. Mm-hmm. Like you have Brazil still. You have France. You have uh, Spain, England. Let's just say them too. But that standings go and show it. Like, I mean, world rankings go and show it. That doesn't mean anything sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like you look at England and USA today, on paper, the U.S. side is like probably one of the youngest teams mm-hmm. or countries in the tournament by far. England, very young as well, but experienced. Um, they've a lot, a lot of these guys have already played in the European Cup two years ago. They made it to a final. Yep. Like Saka was there, obviously Rashford, Mount, Kane, Grealish, like all these guys were there playing the world in the European final. What were these guys from the U.S. doing? Mm-hmm. You know, they're maybe trying to do CONCACAF qualifying against Jamaica mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Like, so th- this is their first big opportunity in the World Cup. They go against England, kind of like what Santo alluded to with Saudi Arabia, nothing to lose. You get a nil-nil draw against England. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you have to do what you have to do to get by and to get wins and get points. And I'm sure, I mean, we're, we've done one game per group so far. Yeah. So there's still a lot of footy to play. We're going to see a lot more upsets, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget one of you said it. Like the favorite doesn't always win, or like whatever it was. Uh, our last our our PV episode. I think you said like, well, one of you said like the favorites don't always win or something. Oh yeah, like show. I know there's gonna be upsets. Yeah, it's just it's <laughs> there's gonna happens. be upsets. It's, yeah, it's what happens for sure. And we were able to see a couple of them pretty quick, <laughs> pretty early, pretty mm-hmm. early on. And um, it's gonna set up like a really enticing, you know, few more weeks to come. And I think mm-hmm. the final is December the 18th. So from now until December 18th, we've got a lot more footy to unpack and unfold. Um, I think, yeah, big surprise teams, like, yeah, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Ecuador, Senegal, getting a win today was, was big for them too. Mm-hmm. Um, teams that still really have to, like, make a mark, you know, Denmark, the Mexico, Poland, all getting nil-nil, tra- uh, nil-nil draws. Um, they have to kind of, like, you know, put their foot down. Croatia... They're going to want to bounce back against Canada on Sunday, mm-hmm. right? Uh, John Herman came out and said that we're going to go fuck Croatia up, I think is what he said. Yeah. So, like, I, I mean, mean, Croatia came out with the, in their tabloid. I don't know if you guys saw that. No. What? 
they came out with uh, a picture on their newspaper with the uh, herd. I'll just show it to you guys. Um, I want to look just look up what Croatia came out with um, about Herdman after he said that. Um, Herdman did come out and say that he meant no disrespect, but uh, he just says like you have to come out against like the top teams. Um, but yeah, just came out with a tabloid. Um, I'm gonna wait for the picture to load here, but it's just Herdman, uh, basically naked except for a Canada flag just covering his mouth and his private area. This is in the Croatian tabloid there. Um, very. I don't know. It's very strange that like it's like I feel like if this whole thing didn't happen, um, it would have just kind of been like a regular match. I feel like someone made a good point where it's turning into a grunge match where Croatia's gonna be like, all right, well, like if you Canada, here we come. Yeah. Um, it could have backfired on Herbert a little bit there, like added extra motivation to Croatians now too, right? Yeah. Part of, part of me thinks that. Um, I mean, this is probably like reading too much into it. Um, but if he just did this to uh, put the attention on him and not Davies, um, which is entirely possible, but I I don't personally think it is. Wouldn't put it past him to be honest though. He seems like a pretty genuine coach. Yeah, like a player's coach. Like I feel like if if their opportunity did come for him to draw attention away from his players, I feel like he would. Yeah, yeah. especially in the, in, the, in this tournament where it's like you're under a microscope for a whole entire month. Yeah. It's not like in CONCACAF where you have you play two games in, in 10 days and then yeah. you fuck off for like three weeks or like yeah. three months or something. You don't see national um, play again where like it would just die off on its own. But like I said, this might have done the opposite effect and maybe put Croatia in a more motivated yeah. state as well. Um, I mean, maybe. We'll see Sunday. Um, but. but Maybe like that kind of game, like maybe a composed Croatia is not what we want to face. Maybe. You know what I mean? Well, they were pretty composed against Morocco, to be honest, man. They didn't do nothing. <laughs> they didn't do nothing. And I, I was yeah. watching the game and I'm like, if this is the best they have to put forward against, yeah, quote, the worst team in our group. Yeah. I don't know. Because like, they, yeah, it was, it was a pretty boring game, to be honest. Um, just mm. look at some of the stats of Morocco and Croatia. You know, five. Yeah, eight shots were eight to five in favor of Morocco. They both only Lots. had two on net. Um, <laughs> Lots, Lots of fouls. Yeah, possession was heavily favored to Croatia, but again, they didn't really do anything from it. They didn't really create too too much. Um, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I, I do think they're gonna come out a little bit stronger, or they're gonna want to come out stronger than they did against Morocco uh, when they play Canada on Sunday. But at the same time, if we... I, okay, I think maybe Canada... We I don't want to say we overachieved against Belgium, but we showed that we can play at a high level. Mm-hmm. So in my point of view, we probably can't play much better than that. No. Like in a game. We could play like that and score, which would, would be better. But the way that we played that game, I don't think we can play much better. So if we do mm-hmm. play a little bit worse than we did against Belgium, it's like how much worse are we going to play? Yeah. Where like I don't want that to be brought down like so much that we played so bad that we end up losing to this game against Croatia mm-hmm. or we don't play well against them. Because like when you come up firing like we did in the way that we did, like you can only play down now. Mm-hmm. So I don't like it's it's a tough game to gauge mm-hmm. of like how we're gonna come out. Yeah. Because if we do the same thing against Belgium against Croatia, sorry, that we did against Belgium, like I'll be a happy guy. We, we gotta score. <laughs> if we yeah. score. We gotta, we gotta make we gotta make the goals. But 
if we play the same tempo, the same tactical, you know, setup that Herman wants to do, our guys mm-hmm. buy into like how, you know, to play tournament play. We could do some damage in this yeah. tournament. We just gotta yeah. score. Yeah, we. Uh, I think I'm interested to see how we're gonna do in a knockout round if we get there, um, because it's a totally different game plan. Um, but. I I really want to see how we we manage those games. Just see how Herdman uh, t- uh, takes it to teams. Yeah, I think if we do like we finish second, which is looking the most likely, obviously now, then we'd play like f- someone France maybe. Brian was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Not totally sure. We don't have the bracket, but mm-hmm. yeah, we'll have to see. Like Andrew said, we got to score next game. I I have a feeling Under, we'll prob- understatement of like the tournament. You got to yeah. score. Like. Yeah, <laughs> we'll probably. <laughs> I get the feeling we'll probably play similarly. Like I like I would be very shocked if we come out flat against Croatia after losing one 0 against Belgium, playing like the best we've probably ever played. <laughs> so if we come out of Croatia flat, then it's like hey, then we don't really deserve to um, move on. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, if it's back to back performances with no result, then yeah. you don't deserve to to beat Morocco (laughs) in in the third game, which would probably mean nothing or, you know, it'd be, yeah, you need a lot to go your way. And if you draw this match or don't get something positive coming from it. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. So I think that's probably gonna wrap it up the way guys. Yeah. Uh, That was a good episode. That was fun. (sighs) Finally got to like, let it out, you know? Yeah. The the (laughs) real emotion. I was like just venting to you guys for three or four days. Um, Oh, just one last thing I want to add. The added time for each game. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we touched on this. on The, the first few yeah. the first few games, I was like, what the hell is going on? Because mm-hmm. there was like 15 minutes of added time for one of the matches. And I know there's a long injury that happened in that game. Um, but then the other, I kept seeing other matches where I'm watching the game and there's barely any injuries. Not much added time should be like put forth. And it's like seven minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, what is happening here? Uh, yeah. But well, then it, you, com- but you. then yeah, but then it comes out. Colina, the ex uh, Italian official who's like in charge of the FIFA officiating for this tournament, came out and said that they basically want to make the added injury time more representative of the actual amount of time gone throughout mm-hmm. the game. Mm-hmm. So normally we would see a couple injuries, you know, the, the throwing takes a little bit longer, substitutions three minutes, which like doesn't, it's not really three minutes. They just right. put three minutes out there because they can't. When now they're adding up this time, they're making it more accurate. That three minutes of like BS time is now actually nine minutes, and they play a full nine extra minutes of the game. Yeah. yeah. What's your guys' take on that? I I'm not the biggest fan. Um, Thank you personally, <laughs> um, because in the past it was like you have a ninety minute game, like you understand some of that time is gonna be like used up for just like whatever. And then when there's substitution, there's industries, there's injuries. There's like, yeah, okay, you have like a a guy on the ground, not a serious injury, which obviously, you know, in serious cases, it's a lot of extra added time. Um, but when it's just like minor things, you know, usually it's like, all right, you add like 30 seconds, 45 seconds for each of those like minor instances where it's not you're adding the entire time because it's a 90-minute game and that's just part of the game. So you just add on a little bit for stuff that's just taking it up. That's always the approach that they've taken, and I've always liked it. Just like adding so much extra time, just it, I feel like it makes the ninety minutes like more meaningless. 
because like all right, it's, ninety minutes is coming up. But don't worry, we're gonna have like ten more yeah. minutes after this. But <laughs> it's like, not, no, it's like ninety minutes is coming up. That's like you're gonna have a little bit yeah. of time, but you have to like perform for those ninety minutes because then it's like mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just like ninety minutes gonna end. You still have like tons of time after. I don't. And, I'm not a, a huge fan. And, and like footy is obviously like the only big time sport that doesn't have like a set clock. Yeah, like it's a running time. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's no commercials for forty five minutes a half. Like, you know, it's not football or hockey where you get, you know, predetermined stoppages for commercials and all this other crap. So the fact that they don't have a hard stop time, yes, yeah. you do have to add time for other things. But again, I think it was the Portugal Ghana game yesterday. It was like nine minutes of out of time. And I was watching it with, with a friend of ours, a close friend. And he's like, that's 10% of a game. They're yeah. just adding on to the end of a game. Yeah. Like, that's like. That's a lot. That's a lot. And, yeah. not, and mind you, they're doing the same thing at halftime as well. You're playing six minutes of extra time at the end of the first half. Yeah. Plus nine minutes. That's 15 minutes of added time. You're basically playing as if you went to extra time and played the first half of extra time on like a nil-nil game. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, it has felt like a lot. I mean, I get the spirit of it where it's like um, it's really going to unincentivize teams to time waste. Because like, hey, if you time waste, it's going to be like seven extra minutes of added time. It's like, do you really want that? Um, so on one hand, that's a good thing. Um, yeah, it's tough because I, I really don't like time wasting. Um, but I think what they have to do is add on the added time for like big injuries and for um, like when you see someone like time wasting. Yeah, like there's no po- obvious and yeah, yeah, like just I don't like he's like oh he's on they're on the ground we'll just add this time on but like. I don't know, like, I don't know, like, to be honest, I don't know where they're getting all the extra time from. It's like, oh, every throw in, let's calculate every single throw in, how long gold cakes. They probably got a guy somewhere. Yeah. Um, So I think maybe it just might take a little bit more um, thought into what, how much, like, what time they're actually adding on. Um, And maybe that'll reduce it from, like, nine to, like, maybe five five or something mm-hmm. which you know if if more often than not like if we get more like five minutes of extra time versus like two or three maybe that does make sense um but like we've seen like 12 yeah like whatever it is yeah. which is like a lot like, i'm all lot. for like i've seen we've seen five minutes in epl on a saturday it happens right yeah, yeah and that's and that's a lot and that's a lot like fans are pumped when it's five the minutes first and game of the tournament it was qatar and in ecuador it's like 11 minutes of out of time I'm yeah. like, what is this <laughs> And yeah. at this point, I didn't know that there was like a mandate put forth by FIFA to to do this. I didn't. I wasn't aware. So then I saw it the next game. It was like seven. Next game nine. Next game seven. I'm like, what is yeah, happening? Something's happening right now. Like, and I was the biggest one so far that like I really was raging at was Japan and Germany because it was two on Japan at the point. Like when the 90 minute hit, I'm like crossing my fingers. I'm okay. Like, what's it gonna be? Eight minutes. Yeah. And I was like, come on. Like, <laughs> so obviously I'm, I'm going for Japan in this case. And I'm like, eight minutes of added time? Yeah. Like, for what? <laughs> like, I watched the majority of that game. I'm like, there's not eight minutes of time that should be out of here. Like, maybe yeah. three? And they give him eight. And they, they held off. So so kudos to them. Um, is there anything else you guys want to add? Um, I do want to touch real quick on Brazil. Okay, yeah. Um, we kind of overlooked them a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I mean, they... Well, like I, they just totally bossed. It. I mean, it was two nil, but they for me are just 
like I they're they're the favorites for me more so than they were before the tournament started. I, you know, looking at their bench and just looking at how they were playing. Um very well rounded team. Yeah, and it wasn't even a lot you know, like Spain has their like uh you know, their passing possession play, but like Brazil was just like threatening a hundred percent of the time. They would just have passes coming in from Casemiro and uh uh Poqueta from the mid. Just a pass that like you just don't see and they just pick out um Richarlison or Rafinha and they just have a chance out of nowhere. Uh I'm really looking forward to seeing the rest of their games because they were just very, very fun to watch. Um, for me, um, Spain is probably the other team, but for me, more so Brazil is the the only team, again, next to Spain, that I think can compete with, like, the top club teams in, like, England and Spain and Italy. Um, because, obviously, you know, with an international team, they're te- they tend to be weaker than club teams because, like, there's just gaps you can't fill. But... I don't know. They just looked very strong. Shout out to Richarlison for scoring uh, a brace um, mm-hmm. and scoring probably like goal of the tournament um, <laughs> with a scissor kick. Uh, I asked Joe like why he was starting over Jesus. <laughs> why is he and starting instead of uh, Jesus? Like, I don't know. <laughs> that's well, why. That's why. And he's not like a striker either on Tottenham or even on Everton. He wasn't playing that role. He's like, no. Yeah. yeah, he's like a, on the right side of yeah, the three usually. Yeah. yeah. Front three there. So a little different dynam- dynamic from Brazil. Yeah. Because, again, they, they don't really have, like, a striker-striker. Even Gabriel Jesus, I wouldn't put him as a striker. i put him as, like, a, no, not mainly, not even, like, a false nine, but he's just, like, an added player that would, like, complement mm-hmm. another striker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, we see, like, for Arsenal, it's, like, Martinelli, Jesus, and Saka. Like, they're not, like, they don't just stick to their positions. They kind of roam all, all mm-hmm. through the field and interchange and everything. So, for them to put Richardson up top as, like, a number nine, basically... Um, kind of interesting to see from Brazil because we don't really normally see that from them because they don't they just don't have that kind of player. But he's a great target man. He's a tall guy too, lanky body. He can win the ball in the air. He can you know hold up play if he has to. And like you said, when you have like Casemiro sending you like a forty yard pass along the ground, like yeah, I saw a couple. Of, he like some nice three balls that he played. Yeah, and then behind you, yeah, Rafinha, Vinicius Junior, Neymar, like. Fuck, you could put me up there and I think just say, Hey, just give it to these guys and like Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Like they don't really have to do too too much. Yeah. But no, they they all played a Serbian side who was probably the second best team in this group, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, alongside Switzerland that maybe they kinda go toe to toe. I think we mentioned in the podcast leading up that they'll probably have to battle each other to get second place in the group. Yeah. But in this game here, I mean, you could see they were very much outclassed by Brazil. Yeah. Like they didn't so. have many chances. Mitrovic was a was uh, a ghost out there. He didn't really do much. Even like when Vlahovic came in, I'm surprised that he didn't get the start on this one. Um, when he came in, same kind of thing. Like the, he just got shut down. He didn't play very well, and they'll they'll find it tough. I think uh, Serbia to to perform um, against even the likes of Switzerland or Cameroon in the in the next couple of games because I just don't think they have that creative sense. Mm-hmm. Like they have guys that can score. Mitrovic and Vlahovic have scored, you know, fifty goals, a, a, you know, a piece or fifty goals total in the last like two seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they got tons of goals like on their account, but it's all about who's getting in the ball, right? A right. Lot, a lot of the time. Yeah. So I just don't know if they have like that dynamic player to do that. But Brazil, like you said, no really, no gaps, no holes. Like yeah. that back line, Danilo, Marquinhos, Silva, and Sandro. Yeah, they're getting a bit older. They're aging, but they can still hang. Yeah. And yeah. like and like if if you do get past them, you got Allison in net. And then if Allison gets hurt, you have Ederson. 
They're they're deep. They got a really good <laughs> very squad. Very deep. They got a very good squad. Um, definitely one to watch going forward, as we thought, because they're the favorite going in anyways. Mm-hmm. I think they had the highest betting odds to win. Yep. I believe it was them, France, and then... Argentina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Tough. Yeah, we'll <laughs> see now. We'll see what it is now. It's probably drastically changed. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I think that's, uh, that's it for us. Mm-hmm. Canada, Croatia, 11 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday. Nice little plug for TSN there. Um, everyone better watch it. You know, watch the other games in that on that day. There's gonna be some big ones, like we said, Spain and Germany. If you get up for it, watch um, Belgium. Well, I think Belgium's at eight o'clock game actually. Yeah, Belgium and um, Morocco at eight o'clock. <sighs> what a time! What a time! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, World Cup fever is here. It's it's officially here. Um, all right, so I think that's it. We will chat next week after all the week's action. See you, everyone. See you. Ciao. Oh, 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 oh,